Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Over the past century, quantum field theory has proved to be the single most sweeping and successful physical theory ever invented. It's an umbrella term that encompasses many specific quantum field theories, the way shape covers specific examples like the square and the circle. Quantum field theory is incomplete, but can mathematics solve the mystery? That's next. Explore more math mysteries in the Quanta book, The Prime Number Conspiracy, published by the MIT Press. Available now at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or your local bookstore. Also, make sure to tell your friends about the Quanta Magazine Science Podcast and give us a positive review or follow where you listen. It helps people find this podcast. The most prominent of the quantum field theories is known as the standard model. It's this framework of physics that's been so successful. David Tong, a physicist at the University of Cambridge, says quantum field theory can explain everything, <laughs> just li literally everything. And at the fundamental level, every single experiment that we've ever done in a way that's just deeply distressing, because we really want this theory to be wrong so we can understand what lies beyond it, but that's just not happening. But more than that, you know, physics is a reductionist science. And so quantum field theory is the right description at the fundamental level. But from that, we then get the other layers, not always with all the details filled in, but from quantum field theory, we understand classical field theory, how it emerges, Maxwell's equations, how quantum mechanics emerges. But quantum field theory, or QFT, is indisputably incomplete. Neither physicists nor mathematicians know exactly what makes a quantum field theory a quantum field theory. They have glimpses of the full picture, but they can't yet make it out. Mathematics, which requires internal consistency and attention to every last detail, is the language that might make QFT whole. If mathematics can learn how to describe QFT with the same rigor with which it characterizes well-established mathematical objects, a more complete picture of the physical world will likely come along for the ride. Nor is this a one-way street. For millennia, the physical world has been mathematics' greatest muse. The ancient Greeks invented trigonometry to study the motion of the stars. Mathematics turned it into a discipline with definitions and rules that students now learn without any reference to its celestial origins. Almost 2,000 years later, Isaac Newton wanted to understand Kepler's laws of planetary motion and attempted to find a rigorous way of thinking about infinitesimal change. This impulse helped to birth the field of calculus, which mathematics appropriated and improved, and today could hardly exist without. Now mathematicians want to do the same for QFT. They're taking the ideas, objects, and techniques that physicists have developed to study fundamental particles and incorporating them into the main body of mathematics. 
This means defining the basic traits of QFT so that future mathematicians won't have to think about the physical context in which the theory first arose. The rewards are likely to be great. Mathematics grows when it finds new objects to explore and new structures that capture some of the most important relationships between numbers, equations, and shapes. QFT offers both. David Benzvi is a mathematician at the University of Texas, Austin. Physics has all the subtleties you can ask for. You just have to know to ask for it. Physicists sometimes present things in simplified ways, just so it can be communicated. But the physics itself as a structure is very deep, and it's often a better way to think about things we already were interested in mathematically. It's just a better way to organize them. For the last 40 years at least, QFT has tempted mathematicians with ideas to pursue. In recent years, they've finally begun to understand some of the basic objects in QFT itself, abstracting them from the world of particle physics and turning them into mathematical objects in their own right. Yet, the translation is still in its early days. Greg Moore, a physicist at Rutgers University, thinks we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. He says if mathematicians really understood QFT, it would lead to profound advances in mathematics. It's common to think of the universe as being built from fundamental particles, electrons, quarks, photons, and the like. But physics long ago moved beyond this view. Instead of particles, physicists now talk about quantum fields as the basis of reality. These fields stretch across the space-time of the universe. They come in many varieties and fluctuate like a rolling ocean. As the fields ripple and interact with each other, Particles emerge out of them and then vanish back into them, like the fleeting crests of a wave. Physicist David Tong gives an example. This puzzled people for decades. Beta decay. Beta decay is where a nucleus decays, emitting an electron. And it's very clear that the electron comes from the nucleus, not from elsewhere in the atom. That makes it seem obvious that a nucleus must contain electrons. And this is what people thought for 30 years, because of course, if... But electron is coming out of a nucleus, an electron must have been in the nucleus all along. We now know that's not the case. The electron was never in the nucleus, but when particles decay, they can change type. And the way this happens is not because these particles are just objects that live forever. It's a dance of fields. It's that there was a neutron field that was excited and that decayed, but as it dropped down, it kicked up an electron field. And all of this makes so much more sense in a field theoretic language. To understand quantum fields, it's easiest to start with an ordinary or classical field. Imagine measuring the temperature at every point on Earth's surface. Combining the infinitely many points at which you can make these measurements forms a geometric object called a field that packages together all of this temperature information. In general, fields emerge whenever you have some quantity that can be measured uniquely at infinitely fine resolution across a space. Davide Gaiotto is a physicist at the Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics in Waterloo, Canada. In our classical world, we're used to the fact that we can ask different questions about the system independently. I can ask what's the electric field in this direction, and I can ask what's the electric field in that direction, and... It doesn't really matter if I ask one question before the other or after. Quantum mechanics arises that in the real world, that's not the case. 
in the real world, if I measured the electric field in one direction and then I measured the magnetic field in another direction, the answers will change if I switch the order in which I ask them. Quantum fields come about when you're observing quantum phenomena, like the energy of an electron, at every point in space and time. But quantum fields are fundamentally different from classical ones. Well, the temperature at a point on Earth is what it is, regardless of whether you measure it, electrons have no definite position until the moment you observe them. Prior to that, their positions can only be described probabilistically by assigning values at every point in a quantum field that captures the likelihood you'll find an electron there versus somewhere else. Prior to observation, electrons essentially exist nowhere and everywhere. Tong explains the difference between a classical and a quantum particle. A classical particle has a definite position. A quantum particle is more blurry and is spread out with, you know, this quantum probability, the wave function. The same is true of fields. A classical field, the electromagnetic field, has an exact value at every point in space and time. A quantum field is a superposition of all possible configurations of classical fields. So at any point in space and time, it can take many different values. They can be correlated in many different ways with the values of the field elsewhere. A quantum field theory comes with a set of rules called correlation functions that explain how measurements at one point in a field relate to or correlate with measurements taken at another point. Each quantum field theory describes physics in a specific number of dimensions. Two-dimensional quantum field theories are often useful for describing the behavior of materials like insulators. Six-dimensional quantum field theories are especially relevant to string theory. And four-dimensional quantum field theories describe physics in our actual four-dimensional universe. The standard model is one of these. It's the single most important quantum field theory because it's the one that best describes the universe. There are 12 known fundamental particles that make up the universe. Each has its own unique quantum field. To these 12 particle fields, the standard model adds four force fields, representing the four fundamental forces, gravity, electromagnetism, the strong nuclear force, and the weak nuclear force. It combines these 16 fields in a single equation that describes how they interact with each other. Through these interactions, fundamental particles are understood as fluctuations of their respective quantum fields, and the physical world emerges before our eyes. It might sound strange, but physicists realized in the 1930s that physics based on fields rather than particles resolved some of their most pressing inconsistencies. These ranged from issues regarding causality to the fact that particles don't live forever. It also explained what otherwise appeared to be an improbable consistency in the physical world. David Tong says you can see that even in the Large Hadron Collider, or HC. All particles of the same type are the same. So if we go to the LHC and make a freshly minted proton, it's exactly the same as the proton in cosmic rays. And the protons in cosmic rays could have been traveling for 10 billion years. They could have been formed in some supernova explosion or some supermassive black hole, far flung reaches of the universe. 
These two objects are exactly the same, and that deserves some explanation. QTF provides that explanation. All protons are just fluctuations in the same underlying proton field, or if you could look more closely, the underlying quark fields. But the explanatory power of QFT comes at a high mathematical cost. Here's Tong. One way of characterizing it is it's by far the most complicated object in mathematics, to the point that mathematicians have no idea how to make sense of this. Quantum field theory is mathematics that has not yet been invented by mathematicians. What makes it so complicated for mathematicians? In a word, infinity. When you measure a quantum field at a point, the result isn't a few numbers like coordinates and temperature. Instead, it's a matrix, which is an array of numbers. And not just any matrix, a big one called an operator with infinitely many columns and rows. This reflects how a quantum field takes in all the possibilities of a particle emerging from the field. Kasha Reisner is with the University of York. Classically, there is infinitely many positions that this particle can have in a box. You can describe a box as this three-dimensional object, but the particle can be in any of these infinitely many positions inside that box. Somehow when you start talking about quantum mechanics, then your potential measurements are inside this infinite space. So there's infinitely many different positions that your particle could have there. That leads to the fact that the matrix that describes measurement of a position or momentum and so on, so these operators also have to be Infinite-dimensional. And when theories produce infinities, it calls their physical relevance into question. Infinity exists as a concept, not as anything experiments can ever measure. It also makes the theories hard to work with mathematically. Alejandra Castro is a physicist at the University of Amsterdam. We don't like having a framework that spells out infinity. And so that's why you start realizing that it's something that you need a better mathematical understanding of what's going on. The problems with infinity get worse when physicists start thinking about how two quantum fields interact, as they might when particle collisions are modeled at the Large Hadron Collider outside Geneva. In classical mechanics, this type of calculation is easy. To model what happens when two billiard balls collide, just use the numbers specifying the momentum of each ball at the point of collision. But when two quantum fields interact, Kasha Reisner says we run into a problem. In quantum field theory, then when we want to describe the dynamics, when we want to describe the interaction of fields, we also need to be able to multiply now field operators at a point. And this is where things go terribly wrong. These field operators cannot be multiplied at a point. It just, this is not well defined. That's because you're trying to multiply two infinite dimensional objects that are infinitely close together. Physicists and mathematicians can't calculate using infinities, but they have developed workarounds, ways of approximating quantities that dodge the problem. These workarounds yield approximate predictions, which are good enough because experiments aren't infinitely precise either. Here's David Tong again. We can do experiments and measure things to 13 decimal places and do calculations and they agree to all 13 decimal places. And it's just the most 
astonishing thing in all of science, and it's all to do with field theory. One workaround starts by imagining that you have a quantum field in which nothing is happening. This setting is called a free theory because it's free of interactions. Here, you don't have to worry about multiplying infinite dimensional matrices because nothing's in motion and nothing ever collides. It's a situation that's easy to describe in full mathematical detail, though that description isn't worth a whole lot, says Reisner. It's totally boring because then you describe a lonely field with nothing to interact with, so it's a bit academic exercise. But then you can consider interactions which are not very strong. So it's like almost a free field. This approach is called perturbative QFT in the sense that you allow for small changes or perturbations in a free field. So you kind of switch on interaction, but switch it on in a sort of controlled way. And you see how your theory changes, how your expectation values change. And then the more you switch on the interaction, the bigger these changes, these corrections are. You can apply the perturbative perspective to quantum field theories that are similar to a free theory. So let's say I wanted to measure this energy density at a point, and I know it for a free theory, I know it exactly, and then I switch on the interaction, whatever interaction. So now the number I should get gets corrections because I have that interaction. And typically we describe interactions using some parameters called coupling constants, which measure how big is that interaction compared to scales in the free theory. We can quantify how much this interaction influences my system. And then I can compute corrections to what I got in the free theory. It's also extremely useful for verifying experiments. But if you keep making the interaction stronger, the perturbative approach eventually overheats, says Reisner. The problem with perturbative quantum field theory is that either we don't know if these series of corrections converge, or we know that they don't. There are actually some situations where we know mathematics tells us that if you keep on computing those corrections, you get infinity. This is rubbish. This is completely useless. This suggests that while the perturbation method is a useful guide for experiments, ultimately, it's not the right way to try and describe the universe. So why are we still talking? Why is this theory used for things? Well, it turns out that if you, let's say, stop at five orders, you get amazing accuracy. You get amazing experimental agreement. So if you compute just a few of these corrections, you get this fantastic, tremendous agreement that quantum field theory is famous for. But that means it's practically useful, but theoretically shaky, says Davide Gaiotto. If you try to add everything up, you don't get anything sensible. Another approximation scheme tries to sneak up on a full-fledged quantum field theory by other means. In theory, a quantum field contains infinitely fine-grained information. To cook up these fields, physicists start with a grid or lattice and restrict measurements to places where the lines of the lattice cross each other. So instead of being able to measure the quantum field everywhere, at first you can only measure it at select places a fixed distance apart. 
From there, physicists enhance the resolution of the lattice, drawing the threads closer together to create a finer and finer weave. As it tightens, the number of points at which you can take measurements increases, approaching the idealized notion of a field where you can take measurements everywhere. In mathematical terms, they say the continuum quantum field is the limit of the tightening lattice. Mathematicians are used to working with limits and know how to establish that certain ones really exist. For example, they've proved that the limit of the infinite sequence of one-half plus one-fourth plus one-eighth plus one-sixteenth and so on is one. Physicists would like to prove that quantum fields are the limit of this lattice procedure. They just don't know how. Physicists don't doubt that the tightening lattice is moving toward the idealized notion of a quantum field. The close fit between the predictions of QFT and the experimental results strongly suggests that's the case. But having strong evidence that something is correct and proving conclusively that it is are two different things. It's a degree of imprecision that's out of step with the other great physical theories that QFT aspires to supersede. Isaac Newton's laws of motion, quantum mechanics, Albert Einstein's theories of special and general relativity, they're all just pieces of the bigger story QFT wants to tell. But unlike QFT, they can all be written down in exact mathematical terms. Robert Dykegraff is the director of the Institute for Advanced Study and a regular columnist for Quantum Magazine. He says quantum field theory emerged as an almost universal language of physical phenomena, but it's in bad math shape. And for some physicists, that's a reason for pause. Dykegraff says if the full house is resting on this core concept that itself isn't understood in a mathematical way, why are we so confident this is describing the world? He says that sharpens the whole issue. Even in this incomplete state, QFT has prompted a number of important mathematical discoveries. The general pattern of interaction has been that physicists using QFT stumble into surprising calculations that mathematicians then try to explain. Here's Tong again. It's an idea-generating machine. The real irony with quantum field theory is that we don't understand it mathematically, and yet one of its great achievements is giving new results in mathematics. At a basic level, physical phenomena have a tight relationship with geometry. To take a simple example, if you set a ball in motion on a smooth surface, its trajectory will illuminate the shortest path between any two points, a property known as a geodesic. In this way, physical phenomena can detect geometric features of a shape. Now, replace the billiard ball with an electron. The electron exists probabilistically everywhere on a surface. By studying the quantum field that captures those probabilities, you can learn something about the overall nature of that surface or manifold, like how many holes it has. That's a fundamental question that mathematicians working in geometry and the related field of topology want to answer, says Tong. So a quantum particle, one particle, 
even just sitting there doing nothing, will start to know about the topology of the manifold, not just its shape, not just its curvature, but the number of holes and so forth. In the late 1970s, physicists and mathematicians began applying this perspective to solve basic questions in geometry. By the early 1990s, physicist Nathan Seiberg and his collaborator Edward Witten figured out how to use it to create a new mathematical tool, now called the Seiberg-Witten invariance. It turns quantum phenomena into an index for purely mathematical traits of a shape. Count the number of times quantum particles behave in a certain way, and you've effectively counted the number of holes in a shape. Another example of this exchange also occurred in the early 1990s, when physicists were doing calculations related to string theory. They performed them in two different geometric spaces based on fundamentally different mathematical rules, and kept producing long sets of numbers that matched each other exactly. Mathematicians picked up the thread and elaborated it into a whole new field of inquiry called mirror symmetry that investigates the concurrence and many others like it. Here's mathematician David Benzvi again. Mirror symmetry, people have been studying some of these questions in algebraic geometry, but counting numbers of curves in various places. And at the time, there was no connection at all to any physics. And here physicists come and they tell you there should be this and this many curves on a quintic threefold or so on. And they came up with these miraculous statements. And I think for a lot of the development of the story, initially the interaction between string theory and math was a lot of times that the physicists would come up with these amazing predictions and mathematicians would try to prove them by our own means. So you just, whatever techniques we already have available, okay, here's all these crazy conjectures coming from physics. Let's see if we can prove that assertion, but using classical mathematical ways of thinking. And the predictions were very strange, but wonderful, and they turned out to be pretty much always correct. But while QFT has been successful at generating leads for mathematics to follow, its core ideas still exist almost entirely outside of mathematics. Quantum field theories are not objects that mathematicians understand well enough to use the way they can use polynomials, groups, manifolds, and other pillars of the discipline. Many of those actually originated in physics. For physicists, this distant relationship with math is a sign that there's a lot more they need to understand about the theory they birthed. And for mathematicians, it seems as if the relationship between QFT and math should be deeper than the occasional interaction. That's because quantum field theories contain many symmetries or underlying structures that dictate how points in different parts of a field relate to each other. These symmetries have a physical significance. They embody how quantities like energy are conserved as quantum fields evolve over time. But they're also mathematically interesting objects in their own right, or as explained by physicist Alejandra Castro. The mathematician might care about a certain symmetry, might care about like some patterns, and then we can put it in this physical context and why would it be relevant from a physical point of view. So it creates this beautiful bridge between the two fields. Mathematicians already use symmetries and other aspects of geometry to investigate everything from solutions to different types of equations to the distribution of prime numbers. Often, geometry encodes answers to questions about numbers. 
QFT offers mathematicians a rich new type of geometric object to play with. If they can get their hands on it directly, there's no telling what they'll be able to do. Mathematics doesn't admit new subjects lightly. Many basic concepts went through long trials before they settled into their proper canonical places in the field. Take the real numbers, all the infinitely many tick marks on the number line. It took math nearly 2,000 years of practice to agree on a way of defining them. Finally, in the 1850s, mathematicians settled on a precise three-word statement describing the real numbers as a complete, ordered field. They're complete because they contain no gaps. They're ordered because there's always a way of determining whether one real number is greater or less than another. And they form a field, which to mathematicians means they follow the rules of arithmetic. In order to turn QFT into an inside stimulus, a tool they can use for their own purposes, mathematicians would like to give the same treatment to QFT that they gave to real numbers. They need a sharp list of characteristics that any specific quantum field theory needs to satisfy. A lot of the work of translating parts of QFT into mathematics has come from a mathematician named Kevin Costello at the Perimeter Institute. In 2016, he co-authored a textbook that puts perturbative QFT on firm mathematical footing. It includes formalizing how to work with the infinite quantities that crop up as you increase the number of interactions. The work follows an earlier effort from the 2000s called algebraic quantum field theory that sought similar ends. So now, while perturbative QFT still doesn't really describe the universe, mathematicians know how to deal with the physically nonsensical infinities it produces. Physicist Greg Moore calls Costello extremely ingenious and insightful. Costello put perturbative theory in a nice new framework that is suitable for rigorous mathematics. Costello explains he wrote the book out of a desire to make perturbative quantum field theory more coherent. He says he just found certain physicists' methods unmotivated and ad hoc. Costello says he wanted something more self-contained that a mathematician could go work with. By specifying exactly how perturbative theory works, Costello has created a basis upon which physicists and mathematicians can construct novel quantum field theories that satisfy the dictates of his perturbation approach. Others in the field have quickly embraced it. Costello has been working on defining just what a quantum field theory is. In stripped-down form, a quantum field theory requires a geometric space in which you can make observations at every point. Combine that with correlation functions that express how observations at different points relate to each other. Costello's work describes the properties a collection of correlation functions needs to have in order to serve as a workable basis for a quantum field theory. The most familiar quantum field theories, like the standard model, contain additional features that may not be present in all quantum field theories. 
Quantum field theories that lack these features likely describe other, still undiscovered properties that could help physicists explain physical phenomena the standard model can't account for. If your idea of a quantum field theory is fixed too closely to the versions we already know about, you'll have a hard time even envisioning the other necessary possibilities. Here's Davide Gaiotto again. There is a lot of a lamppost effect, okay? There is the big lamppost under which you can find theories of fields with interactions. And around it, there is a big darkness, which we don't know how to define, but we know it's there. That darkness is quantum field theories. Costello has illuminated some of that dark space with his definitions of quantum fields. From these definitions, he's discovered two surprising new quantum field theories. Neither describes our four-dimensional universe, but they do satisfy the core demands of a geometric space equipped with correlation functions. Their discovery through pure thought is similar to how the first shapes you might discover are the ones present in the physical world. But once you have a general definition of a shape, you can think your way to examples with no physical relevance at all. If mathematics can determine the full space of possibilities for quantum field theories, physicists can use that to find their way to the specific theories that explain the important physical questions they care most about. And for Alejandra Castro, I want to know the space of quantum field theories because I want to know what quantum gravity is. There's a long way to go. So far, all of the quantum field theories that have been described in full mathematical terms rely on simplifications, which make them easier to work with mathematically. One way to simplify the problem, going back decades, is to study simpler two-dimensional QFTs rather than four-dimensional ones. A team in France recently nailed down all the mathematical details of a prominent two-dimensional QFT. Other simplifications assume quantum fields are symmetrical in ways that don't match physical reality, but that make them more tractable from a mathematical perspective. These include supersymmetric and topological QFTs. The next and much more difficult step will be to remove the crutches and provide a mathematical description of a quantum field theory that better suits the physical world physicists most want to describe, the four-dimensional, continuous universe in which all interactions are possible at once. You may remember Kasia Reisner of the University of York. This is a very embarrassing thing that we don't have a single quantum field theory that we can describe in four dimensions non-perturbatively. So this is an old open problem. It's been open for something like 60 years plus, so <laughs> it's not something we can do overnight, but getting the progress there would, would be amazing. <laughs> it's just a hard problem. So apparently it needs more than one or more than two generations of mathematical physicists to solve. <laughs> But that doesn't stop mathematicians and physicists from eyeing it. For mathematicians, QFT is as rich a type of object as they could hope for. Defining the characteristic properties shared by all quantum field theories will almost certainly require merging two of the pillars of mathematics. They need to bring together analysis, which explains how to control infinities, and geometry, which provides a language for talking about symmetry. If mathematicians can understand QFT, there's no telling what mathematical discoveries await in its unlocking. 
Mathematicians defined the characteristic properties of other objects, like manifolds and groups, long ago. Those objects now permeate virtually every corner of mathematics. When they were first defined, it would have been impossible to anticipate all of their mathematical ramifications. QFT holds at least as much promise for math. Here's Ben Zvi. I like to say that the physicists don't necessarily know everything, but the physics does somehow. Like in the kind of questions that I'm interested in, the point of view of physics is so rich and the structure that they're presenting is so rich it really if you ask it the right questions, it already has all the phenomena that mathematicians are looking for. And for physicists, a complete mathematical description of QFT is the flip side of their field's overriding goal, a complete description of physical reality. Now, mathematicians just have to uncover it. Matt Carlstrom helped with this episode. I'm Susan Ballett. For more on this story, read Kevin Hartnett's full article, The Mystery at the Heart of Physics That Only Math Can Solve, on our website, quantamagazine.org. Quantum Magazine is an editorially independent online publication launched by the Simons Foundation to enhance public understanding of science. <music>